deeply concerned about this, uh, and I'm not going to just let it lie. A secret Chinese police station in New York City on the FBI's radar. The agency vowing to get to the bottom of the organ. Former President Trump promising a hard line against Chinese trade practices and IP theft if he's re-elected in 2024. The death of a four-month-old baby, now the second child to pass away in China within recent weeks. The news triggering anger over strict antivirus spread rules. China calling Canada's behavior alongside this week's G20 summit condescending. It comes after a video showing China's leader confronting the Canadian Prime Minister. And the UK blocking a Chinese-owned company from buying Britain's largest microchip manufacturer. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Before we turn to today's news, we'd like to introduce you to the sponsor of today's episode. Secure, the true solution for your digital privacy and security. Secure is a private and secure messaging and email solution hosted in Switzerland using military-grade encryption and Swiss privacy laws, giving you true privacy. Secure is 100% private and does not collect or sell any of your personal data. Secure's Helix technology connects you securely to our Swiss servers without the need of a VPN, guaranteeing privacy and security for all your communications. Secure Messenger doesn't require your phone number or any personal data that hackers target. Chat by Invites allows you to chat privately and securely with anyone outside of your secure network without the need for others to download Secure. Secure Send offers you a private and secure way to email anyone outside of Secure. You won't find this level of privacy or security on any other email or instant messaging application. Visit secure.com. Regain and protect your privacy today. Visit secure.com to learn more about what makes us different. Get started with Secure Messenger for just $5 or $10 for the email and messenger package. Use promo code Tiffany for 25% off. That's 25% off with promo code Tiffany. The FBI director is taking aim at a secret Chinese police station operating in New York. He says he is very concerned about what he called Beijing's outrageous actions. Here's the story. The Chinese Communist Party's efforts to set up police stations in the U.S. are facing pushback. FBI Director Christopher Wray vowing Thursday to put a stop to them. I'm deeply concerned about this, uh, and I'm not going to just let it lie. He calls it outrageous that Chinese police would attempt to set up shop without proper coordination. The Chinese police station reportedly operates in Lower Manhattan and is run by the America Changla Association. Outposts like these outwardly appear to serve administrative purposes, like helping Chinese immigrants renew their Chinese driver's licenses without going back to China. But in effect, they act as overseas police stations for the CCP. Harassing, stalking, surveilling, blackmailing uh, people who they just don't like or disagree with the, the Xi regime. And so it's a real problem and it's something that we're talking with our, our foreign partners about as well because we're not the only country where this has, uh, has occurred. He says the Chinese regime hires private investigators in the U.S. to act as agents and conduct some of this work. Ray also noted situations where bugs have been planted in Americans' cars. What's more, the Department of Homeland Security has voiced similar concerns. It's not only a matter of national security, it's a matter of homeland security in a number of arrays. The secretary says the threat from China is one of the most significant the U.S. faces at home. But the officials didn't comment on whether the Chinese outposts are legal. Ray says the FBI is examining the legal parameters of it. 
though it's up to the Justice Department to shut them down. On the other hand, the Chinese Foreign Ministry is downplaying the accusation, saying there's no need to be nervous about the stations. Authorities in China are facing more public outrage. That's as of Thursday, after the death of the second child in recent weeks was blamed on the country's strict anti-virus enforcement. The four-month-old baby girl died after suffering severe vomiting and diarrhea. She had been under quarantine at a hotel in China's central Henan province. Her mother made a tearful appeal for help online. According to news reports and social media posts, it took the child's father 11 hours to get help after emergency services balked at dealing with them. When she was finally sent to a hospital, authorities directed them to one 60 miles away. By then, it was too late. Her death came after communist officials said people in quarantine would not be blocked from getting emergency help. Earlier this month, a three-year-old boy died in northwest China. The tragedy was also blamed on delays for medical treatment, spurred by virus-driven rules. The child suffered from carbon monoxide poisoning. His father tried to get help but was stopped by local enforcement. He also reached out for aid on social media to no avail. After the child's death, some outraged citizens took to the streets in protest, but were suppressed by police. A postscript about Chinese leader Xi's confrontation with Canada's Trudeau is coming out of China. The two were seen having a candid exchange alongside the G20 summit in Indonesia this week. On Thursday, China's foreign ministry called Canada's actions in Bali disrespectful and that Canada was responsible for the downturn in China-Canada ties. Here's more. The comment comes after a Wednesday video capturing China's leader confronting the Canadian prime minister. Chinese leader Xi was seen rebuking Trudeau over alleged leaks from an earlier unofficial chat, warning the behavior may cause unpredictable consequences. There were additional words spoken after the two had parted ways. She was smiling and passing by the camera and was heard saying, naive indeed. So what led up to this diplomatic showdown? On Tuesday on the sidelines of the summit, Trudeau and Xi had an informal discussion. After that, Trudeau's office issued some points about what the leaders had discussed. Trudeau's serious concerns about alleged espionage and Chinese interference in Canadian elections. Trudeau's office described it as just a standard briefing, but it seemed to have upset Xi. He told Trudeau on Wednesday, the actions didn't fall in line with how China does things, and that if Canada continues, there would be an unpredictable result. While Trudeau was speaking, Xi refrained from making eye contact. As Xi gets accused of flexing his muscles on other world leaders, Trudeau is facing criticism at home. In a Twitter post, a Canadian senator criticized Trudeau for being weak during the confrontation, saying, quote, instead of addressing a very serious issue facing Canada with clarity, strength and action. Following the Xi-Trudeau confrontation, China's social media platforms appear to have censored the Canadian prime minister's name. 
Former President Donald Trump is vowing to take aim at China if he's re-elected in 2024. Trump announced his widely anticipated plan to join the next presidential race on Tuesday. In a speech at Mar-a-Lago, he zoomed in on the ongoing economic rivalry between the U.S. and China, which has been on the rise since before his 2016 win. He highlighted Beijing's Made in China 2025 industrial policy. Its goal? To transform China into a high-tech manufacturing powerhouse. He argued that his America First approach is the only one that can keep America competitive and prevent the Chinese regime from taking over as the world's leading power. To do it, he voiced plans to launch an all-out campaign to eliminate America's dependence on China and bring back supply chains. Looking back on his first term, Trump noted that he took the regime to task for its history of unfair trade practices and intellectual property theft. That's by slapping tariffs on Beijing during the U.S.-China trade war. He touted, for the first time in memory, China was reeling and back on its heels. You've never seen that before. Going on to say, instead of jobs and factories leaving America for China, they worked for the first time leaving China for America. The former president also praised the unity among Americans on both sides of the aisle in dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic and its strain on the economy. Going forward, Trump called for a patriotic stance toward the threat China poses. As world leaders gather in Thailand for an Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Summit, North Korea fired off another missile Friday. South Korea and the U.S. are responding. Let's zoom in on the details. Tokyo said it was likely an intercontinental ballistic missile and that it landed 130 miles off the coast of Japan. The United States, South Korea, Canada, New Zealand, Japan and Australia all condemned the launch only a day after Pyongyang's last projectile, U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris. We strongly condemn these actions, and we again call for North Korea to stop further unlawful, destabilizing acts. On behalf of the United States, I reaffirm our ironclad commitment to our Indo-Pacific alliances. Japan's Prime Minister warned of further missile launches, as well as a possible nuclear test. It has been a record-breaking year for Pyongyang's missile program, after it resumed testing long-range weapons for the first time since 2017. A tally by the US State Department puts this as the eighth ICBM to be launched this year. The North's ballistic missile tests are banned by the UN Security Council resolutions. Pyongyang also broke its self-imposed moratorium on long-range launches. South Korea and the United States held joint Air Force drills on Friday in response to this latest test. Grant Newsham, senior fellow with the Center for Security Policy, says North Korea is taking the provocative action with Beijing's approval and that China is using it to divert Washington's attention. The Chinese could close down North Korea in an afternoon by turning off the, the fuel, the food, the electricity. Uh, if they wanted to, but it is in China's interest to have North Korea doing these things. Uh, it distracts the Americans, it causes them to di divert attention and resources uh, to North Korea, it does the same thing with the Japanese. And these are resources that cannot be de uh, devoted towards Taiwan, for example. 
The intercontinental ballistic missiles have the potential range to reach the continental U.S. A semiconductor heavyweight is planning to make big investments in Taiwan at a time when the island is under the shadow of a potential Chinese invasion. Here's more. The industry giant is called ASML. It's the only company in the world that can make a special type of machine essential to producing the most advanced semiconductors or microchips. Chip makers like Intel and Apple supplier TSMC all rely on equipment from this one company to make the globe's best chips. Microchips are essential to our modern life. From the latest iPhones to cars and fighter jets, none could function without microchips. Now, America and the world depends on Taiwan for the most advanced microchips. This island makes over 90% of the most cutting-edge chips. But this supply chain would likely face disruptions if Beijing invades the island. Back to ASML. The upcoming investment would be its biggest ever in Taiwan. That's according to a social media post from Taiwan President Tsai Ing-wen. Just three days ago, Tsai met with the executive vice president of ASML. I'm very grateful for ASML's investments in Taiwan. It would help Taiwan's semiconductor sector to enhance its capability. And I also believe this would bust the rumors about the risks of investing in Taiwan's semiconductor industry. ASML is staying quiet about the amount of money it plans to invest. It operates five factories in Taiwan and plans to build one more. Construction is set to start next July. Taiwan is attending the ongoing APEC summit in Thailand, but unlike other countries, Taiwan's representative at the meeting isn't a government official, but a businessman. Morris Cheng arrived in Bangkok on Thursday. The Taiwanese special envoy is the founder of Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, or TSMC, the largest microchip maker in the world. The billionaire said he will take a stand on behalf of President Tsai Ing-wen and make Taiwan's voice heard to the world. Tsai, as Taiwan's leader, cannot attend under pressure from Beijing. The regime claims the democratic self-governing island as part of its territory. The Chinese communist regime has never ruled Taiwan. Taiwan has been an APEC member since 1991, but not under its own name. It's represented by the name Chinese Taipei, a term used to avoid Beijing's anger. Alongside this year's meeting, accommodations for attendees have drawn concern. Cheng is staying at the same hotel where Chinese leader Xi Jinping was slated for a CEO summit speech. Fears mounted over a potential clash, given Beijing's level of aggression against Taipei. The speech was later dropped from the summit's official agenda. Xi instead announced the change without giving a reason for the cancellation. Chang said he was unaware of the situation. Also on the microchip front, the British government has blocked a Chinese-owned company from taking over the UK's largest microchip manufacturer. The decision comes after a review showed the takeover carries national security risks. Here's more. Newport Wafer Fab is the UK's largest semiconductor factory. A concern came up over its reported $75 million purchase by Nexperia, a company based in the Netherlands, but it's partially owned by a Chinese company listed in Shanghai. Business Secretary Grant Shapps said, We welcome foreign trade and investment that supports growth and jobs, but where we identify a risk to national security, we will act decisively. In July 2021, Nexperia bought an 86% stake in the chip plant, taking its total holdings to 100%. 
the review of the purchase was announced earlier this year. The business department told Nexperia to sell at least 86% of the Welsh semiconductor plant within a specified period and by following a specified process. Nexperia said it did not accept the national security concerns raised and will appeal the order. Coming up, we zoom in on the Middle East, another battlefield for world power. What would happen if the U.S. turned its back on the region? Whenever you create a vacuum, somebody else will show up. Uh, and today, that'll be China. Uh, probably tomorrow, that will still be China. And, uh, and we know what that comes with, Belt and Road and the baggage and all, lots of promises and writing a lot of checks that, that somebody else is going to have to cash. Um, it, it would be devastating. We spoke to REA Lightstone, former special envoy for the Abraham Accords, about Israel and its newly elected Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu. He breaks down what Netanyahu's next term means for China and the U.S. More on that in just a minute, here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. A key U.S. ally in the Middle East just re-elected its leader, Israel Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. What does his next term mean for China and the West? Earlier, we sat down with Aryeh Lightstone, former special envoy for the Abraham Accords, to get his take. A bit of background, the Abraham Accords is a normalization agreement between Israel and the United Arab Emirates, paving the way for peace in the Middle East. Aryeh, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. It is great to be with you. Thank you. So I want to start with uh, Israel's election, where Benjamin Netanyahu seems to have won by a landslide. So what does this mean going forward, both in terms of the U.S., but also China? So I think it means two things. I think number one is it shows that if you don't honor what your voters have expected from you, they're likely not to return the favor by voting for you again. And what you see is Benjamin Netanyahu has put together a block of people who reacted to the former prime minister, Prime Minister Bennett, uh, what the voters perceived as his betrayal of them to go ahead and form a centrist government. Instead, he was elected to lead his party, was literally called the right, hence the right side of politics. And he was replaced by people who are very firmly on the right, almost like a Tea Party uh, type of result that we witnessed in 2010 and then again in 2012. And because of that, that's now given Prime Minister, or soon to be Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, a substantial majority. And that majority should lead him to a very stable government. And the advantage to a stable government is stable governments can make longer-term decisions. And long-term decisions involve both shoring up the alliance with America, which is always Israel's number one priority, and hopefully coming up with a meaningful policy regarding China, which should be one of their policies and priorities, which has not been to date. And Arya, speaking of China, it seems, you know, there's a lot of things popping up in the Middle East. There's the Iran deal potentially coming about. We're seeing Iran and Russia and China getting a lot closer. So with all this movement, where do you see this headed? Well, I think you're seeing an alignment of what side of history do you want to be on. And Israel is right in the center of the geographic world, right? Right next to Russia and Ukraine right by Syria, by Iran, by Saudi Arabia, by the Mediterranean, just south of Europe. It's in a key location uh, for the world. 
and you see Russia, China, and Iran have formed this unholy alliance. And that should make it much easier for Israel and specifically their technology sectors to say, just like we won't deal with Iran, we're not going to deal with China. And I'm optimistic that this government will lump both or all three of them together and say, look, they're on the wrong side of history. We're not going to be trading partners with them. And on that note, given Israel's key location, what does that mean in terms of working with the U.S. potentially? What do we need to see happen? Well, Prime Minister Netanyahu, when he was the prime minister, always used to say that Israel has no greater friend than America, but America has no greater friend than Israel. And that was his catchphrase that I heard in person with him repeatedly many times a week for the course of four years. I commit that he will likely say that again in four weeks from now when he is now likely to be sworn in as the prime minister again. And what that means is that he'll work with this administration, which is very different than Trump's administration, it's the Biden administration, but the U.S.-Israel relationship needs to transcend politics, it needs to get out of personalities, and it needs to continue to strengthen. Look, the U.S. relies on Israel in a meaningful way for technology, for military, for economics, for intelligence, just like Israel relies on us in America. So the closer we strengthen that relationship, the better off both of our countries will be. And REA, it seems, you know, you were part of the Abraham Accords, which basically achieved peace in the Middle East, which was unthinkable in the past, right? But now we're seeing a lot of different things happening. You have Saudi Arabia, which is, you know, re reiterating its commitment to China, despite the U.S.'s concern. So with all these different countries and their different stances, what do you see happening here? Uh, you can answer almost every question regarding strategies and alliances in the Middle East with one word, Iran. Iran is the creator of evil and challenges in the Middle East. And when the United States is not clear on our stance with Iran, then the rest of the region is going to look around and see where will they have stability. And Arya, speaking of Iran and Russia and China, some are calling it a new axis of evil. So given that it seems, you know, these countries are working together, also North Korea, what should maybe the freedom-loving countries do? Are we going to see an alliance there? Yeah, we need to stand strong. We need to stand strong not just for their people, because the Iranian people aren't bad, the Russian people aren't bad, the Chinese people aren't bad. It's these, uh, you know, tyrannical leadership. Uh, they're really mafia families that, that run these places. We need to stand and we need to give them both a opportunity. If, if it goes back to sort of the, the, the famous parable of the Cold War, back then it was difficult to get information inside of then communist Russia. Today, it's possible to get information inside of Iran. The Iranian people see and know and realize what is waiting for them on the other side. They want it. We should do everything we possibly can to help them. And given the consequences of that, what would happen if the USA turns its back on the Middle East? Well, it, whenever you create a vacuum, somebody else will show up. Uh, and today, that'll be China. Uh, probably tomorrow, that will still be China. And uh, and we know what that comes with, Belt and Road and the baggage and all lots of promises and writing a lot of checks that, that somebody else was going to have to cash. Um, it, it would be devastating if the U.S. left our influence in the Middle East. Just imagine the energy, imagine China with the unbridled energy opportunity that comes from the Middle East. There are, as it is, as much of a competition or worse uh, today with the energy that would come from the Middle East and the technology that would come from Israel would be disaster, completely and totally out of our self-interest. 
And given all that, how I'm sure no one wants another 20 years war, right? What can the concerned citizen do then? Support the Abraham Accords. Tell our government to fight against Iran and to support the Iranian people who are doing the actual fighting right now. Uh, tell our country, tell our government to support our allies in the region. Our allies are everywhere from the UAE and Bahrain and Saudi Arabia, who is a meaningful strategic partner of the United States of America, not a pariah, but a strategic partner, and Israel, who is our greatest ally in the region. And, and this should not be something that we call our Republican senators and congressmen about. They're about to be a lot more uh, senators and congresspeople who likely don't have the same foreign policy. Republicans and Democrats, they should all support our allies because it makes all of us safer. And, and every citizen should care about the issues, be informed about the issues, and make sure that their elected leaders are informed. The, the elections are now. There are going to be new leaders. It's a chance to educate that's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.